0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for a great season of For Let Investigates. We'll be back for season two in October of 2021 with many more great guests within law enforcement. I want to thank the many heroes who were guests on our show. If you missed any of our shows, you can go back and listen to all of them anytime on your favorite podcast app or head over to our website at www.fcis.com. LLC.com. The purpose of our show is to give you insight in what our law enforcement people do every day for our community and our country. Here is one of the great interviews in case you missed it. See you in October. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to a milestone on the Forletta podcast. Today marks the 20th episode that we're recording. We hope to continue to provide you with the most intriguing law enforcement has to offer. Too often, there are many heroic stories that are being left untold, and we hope to change all of that. We are asking our listeners to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and of course, my website at www.fcisllc.com to listen, and please give us a five-star rating so we can really increase our productivity of our show. We will continue to be highly informative podcasts from real-life heroes. Today, I must mention, which is a little different from our podcast, law enforcement today is under attack, and in my past years in law enforcement, I have witnessed nothing like this as to what is happening today. I want the public and our law enforcement heroes to know we will always support you and your family God bless all of you, and stay safe. And with that in mind, I would like to welcome our guest today. It's Mark Russon, a former Las Vegas Metro officer and retired ATF agent. So Mark, I want to welcome you to our show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career, how you got started in law enforcement, and, uh, and where it took you. Well, I grew up in
1: Chicago on the south side, and uh, I was always intrigued with law enforcement, and I thought that would be a outside-the-box way of uh, earning a living, uh, not a whole home 9 nine-to-five job, and I was correct. Uh, what happened was I, I, I graduated from Western Illinois University in 1977, and there were no jobs to be had uh, whatsoever. So uh, I I ended up, Hanging around Chicago for a couple of years until I went on a gambling junket to Las Vegas and met a gal out there who was a blackjack dealer, and she told me they were hiring police officers. So I ended up applying, and I got a job uh, with Las Vegas Metro in January of of 1980, and I became a a police officer. So uh, I, I moved out there, and uh, I was 25 years old, and I my first year, I I ended up uh, pulling dead bodies out of the MGM Grand Hotel fire that happened there in November of 1980. Uh, and then I also worked a strip for four years and had some unbelievable uh, experiences and, uh, you know, shootings, stabbings, you name it, uh, what what goes on with a first responder in a uh, 24-hour town like, like Las Vegas. And I did that until late 1983. And then uh, ATF started hiring and I always wanted to be an ATF agent because uh, when I was in college, a bunch of guys got hired uh, well I was a junior and senior. And they said that that was the, the best law enforcement agency in the country at the federal level. So my dream came true in late 83 when I swore on, to, uh, swore on in San Francisco with uh, ATF. And I did 24 years with them with various assignments, moved seven times across the country, and uh, retired in 2007. And I've written a couple books, and uh, that's kind of where we're at today. And now I'm just trying to learn how to, keep learning how to play golf. Not too successful at that, but.
0: That's a good thing though. That's uh, starting to enjoy your retirement and relaxing, uh, which is difficult for a lot of us. Yeah, I am. And and I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this about my experience with ATF as a DEA agent. And, and as a Maryland State Trooper. Um, I have a lot of respect for them. I have a lot of good friends that I worked with over the years with ATF. Uh, and I know um, as an agency, uh, ATF, like DEA, I call them the, the blue collar of law enforcement uh, because there's almost a similar mindset with former law enforcement people uh, in charge and running the operations. Um, and... ATF, just like DEA at at times, has gone unnoticed, uh, which, um, you know, I've always felt that uh, agencies that, you know, sort of like to operate uh, unnoticed in in a lot of senses, uh, doesn't become that well known in the general public, unlike some others.
1: Exactly. uh, exactly. Always
0: tell tell people people everything they do, and, and I think you know where I'm going with that one.
1: I know exactly. I know exactly where you're going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I won't mention that other agency. Right, uh, (laughs) right, right. We're not, we're not the
1: glory hounds. We kind of get, we kind of roll up our sleeves and get in the hole with the, with the uh, state and locals where the rubber meets the road. We like to call it and we do the undercover and we do all, all that stuff. And like you said, we don't, we don't leave town, leaving with uh, the locals in the leaky bag, so to speak. We uh, and take credit for all the positive <laughs> stuff. So you know the deal. But anyway, yeah. uh, anyway, well, that's why I joined ATF because yeah. I really felt that way. As uh, as you, d- you just said, right, going back, you know, going back to nineteen seventy seven, and that it had a good reputation then. It, it still does. So and so does DEA. So you hit the nail right. on the head exactly.
0: Right, and. Uh, You know, a lot of the the work, you know, that ATF does that, you know, again, I'm going to talk a little bit about ATF for a minute uh, because I have such a high regard for them, you know, knowing the the type of bombings and the cases, you know, that they've gotten involved um, and just knowing the the people that work there, uh, just just great American heroes, as I call them. Um, So as you rose up uh, through the ranks um, as an agent with ATF, and I know you've been all over the place, and you received you know a lot of uh, awards for your for your talent. Um, one thing that kind of stands out to me um, that you were assigned to the Executive Office of the President as an ATF representative, and to of the Office of the National Drug Control Policy. Right, and tell us tell us a little bit about what you did there as a, a liaison uh, to the white house
1: well what happened was in uh, 1999 i was assigned there and i did 4 years under both president clinton and then president uh, george w bush and uh, i was actually uh, assigned to the drug czar's uh, task force and under that comes And you would know this, the HIDA program, uh, high intensity drug trafficking area, where the money is cut up and what have you. And and as you know, where there's drugs, there's guns and there's illegal money. And so they had a task force and all the federal representatives were there. And I I happened to be assigned from from ATF to be the to be the guy that uh, brought the information to the drug czar and to the president and real time stuff that uh, needed to be. Uh, You know, information, questions, any questions that they had about different things happening around the country at the time. And uh, they just they wanted to be able to pick up the phone and talk to the director or talk to, you know, the the person who was on scene uh, in in the bombing. I'll give you an example. Uh, When I was there, there was a bombing that occurred in Mexico City and the drug czar was literally in the the, uh, limousine with the president from Mexico. Uh, It was, it was Fox at the time. And uh, while Fox was visiting the U.S., they were in New York. Bombing happened in Mexico City at a nightclub where several people were killed and and what have you. And he wanted to know, because we sent the representative, we sent our national response team to, or actually, you know, it was an international response team, but our national response team went to Mexico City to, to help in that investigation. He wanted to know real time what we knew about it because he, he didn't know anything about it yet because his people hadn't even, even got to him. So I got the call that uh, mm-hmm. I had to make, make it happen with the phone conversation between our the head of our bomb, bomb units uh, and, uh, you know, a literal phone call with the drug czar who was Barry McCaffrey at the time and uh, the president from Mexico, so stuff like that happens. Emergency stuff, and you just got to jump on it and and get it done. Uh, you know, sure. for the agency agency purposes, that type of thing. So, but yeah, it was a good job. Sure. It was a fun job, and I, I met a lot of great people, and I got a lot of great memories. And and you know, met the president, briefed the president, uh, talked to uh, some of the other muckety mucks there, and it was just a great. Uh, it was a great assignment for four years. I enjoyed it.
0: And I, and I know that, uh, you and I had talked about this before and they made a movie about Waco. Um, and it kind of made it the way it was, uh, I guess portrayed did not shine ATF in a good light in, in one sense. And unfortunately, uh, we lost some ATF heroes in that matter. Uh, and it was just, uh. It was a bad scene, I guess, all the way around, you know, with uh, with Koresh and people dying inside of a, a, a building that was completely engulfed. And uh, so I, I wanted to ask you to, because I know you have some knowledge about this, uh, to talk to us about Waco, how it began, what information you knew about, and how things that uh, that were not really told uh, about what really happened and how things happened and transpired in Waco.
1: Right. Um, well, I was in the intelligence unit at the time, and uh, it was ATF and headquarters when it happened. And uh, I, was then a, I was then asked to go to the White House and brief President Clinton and, and actually introduce the, the families of the deceased ATF heroes, like you said, uh, on May 15th of 93 when they did they etched their names on the wall at Judiciary Square there. In uh, in DC, you know, along with all the other fallen police officers of that year, so uh I I had uh, the opportunity to do that. But I also, you know, it, what what the the burr under the saddle of the ATF agents that were at Waco, and and they they are all heroes. There is absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, what those guys went through was was unbelievable, and uh, how how the survivors tell their story is unbelievable. But unfortunately. You know, if you recall, the day after the raid, the big headline was ATF Botch's Raid. And that was so, right. so unfair and so ridiculous because, you know, we had four dead agents and, and we didn't even know what really happened. Right. So how could the newspaper put that out? And once they put that out, they had no clue. Uh, how we were compromised, you know, uh, how badly we were compromised, and I mean, it's almost like they think that we're going to go into a firefight with fifty against fifty caliber weapons, you know, because we got nothing better to do, you know, and we we already have the intelligence that they have explosives, they have machine guns. It's all listed in the in the affidavit for the search warrant, so we already know that those weapons are inside the compound we already know koresh is having sex with little you know little kids and we had to get in there and 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 do our job you know we were compelled to do our job right. and uh unfortunately what the media did they covered their own butts they ended up saying that you know they basically pointed the finger at atf and nothing could be farther from the truth and uh, uh there was a book that came out and this is after six months uh and it's dated september of 1993 because clinton wanted the the uh the blow by blow he wanted the exact you know what happened how did it happen and and this and that and this is when we were under the, the department of the treasury now mind you because we didn't go to justice until after 9-11 so so the book, the book is a blue book, and, and I believe you can get it on the internet. I'm holding it in my hand now. I got it from the White House, but it's the investigation of Vernon Wayne Howell, and it's got everything in there that you could ever imagine because it's a it's a six month long investigation, and people were put, you know, under oath. People were were deposed, and this is the real story about what really happened. And unfortunately. Uh, the, the agency that we, you know, we ended up having to ha- hand over the inner perimeter to because of, there were four dead ATF agents right. and they and we didn't, our, our bosses didn't want it to look like retribution if we stayed on the inner perimeter right. and, we, and, and if we ended up killing some more people. They didn't want that to be the, you know, right. the, the, the problem. So we took the outer perimeter, the FBI took the inner perimeter and they also took over the the uh, the negotiation with uh, with Koresh inside. But, uh, you know, just to give you an idea, there was a, well, what people don't realize is when we ended up, you know, getting involved with the sheriff's department and how that all started was a UPS delivery truck dropped a package uh inadvertently making a delivery to the compound and a and a grenade rolled out an inner grenade it wasn't it wasn't packed with explosives yet but uh they contacted us and we ended up uh, also they were getting calls there was automatic fire in the area like machine gun fire and uh the, the, those things led us to be able to open an investigation and our guys did a great job in the investigation very thorough. We even put a young agent, an undercover agent, inside the compound. So we had a lot of, we had gathered a lot of intelligence, and uh, we knew exactly what was going on inside the compound. We saw we had witnesses see the cache of weapons by our own agents. So this even this even comes with more credibility than having a good informant in the building, as you know. You know, sure. this is an agent. This is an agent right. working undercover. Right. So we ended up uh, doing all that and. And we found out before the raid that the newspaper, because people were defecting from this compound and they were going to the newspaper, the local newspaper there, and they were gonna do a story about the Messiah, you know, the sinful Messiah. And uh, we, were, we were in, in, in verbal uh, conference with these guys, basically begging them not to go forward until we did our covert operation because they would they could you know it could be an issue uh, we don't want him to get hinked up we don't want him to know that we're onto what's going on the explosives the machine guns mm-hmm. and what we had talked about and that we were in the process of getting our information together to to, to swear out an affidavit to get a warrant uh we were in the process of doing that in the newspaper basically blew us off and and they said they were going to go forward with the story. And they did go forward with the story on the Saturday before the raid, the day before the raid at which we sent their undercover guy in the house to take Koresh's temperature. What we didn't know after we were all in town and we were all geared up and ready to go, all systems were go from, from our, our bosses all the way up to the, to the white house and Janet Reno, you know, and uh, so the bottom right line here. is, the bottom line, we're all geared up and everything's go. Well, the newspaper had sent a bunch of reporters to take footage of this raid because they knew we were going to be doing this raid on the morning of, of the 28th. So one of the reporters gets lost and he stops a guy on the street who he thinks is just some mail carrier. He's got a letter carrier on it written on his door. And it turns out, he says, Mm -hmm. you know, where's the compound? And the guy says, oh, why? What's going on? And he said, ATF and National Guard are coming. This is what he tells them. Well, this guy turns out to be a Branch Davidian, this guy in the mail truck. So he hightails it to the compound. Mm -hmm. Well, we have our undercover guy inside. And we find out later that he ended up calling Koresh out of of his Bible study uh, that he was conducting. And tell him ATF, and National Guard are on their way. Well, then Koresh got hinked up, and and our guy was going to be coming out of there because we were getting ready to serve serve the warrant. We had the guys already at the staging area. They were putting on their vests, or putting on their jackets, and and what have you, getting ready to jump into cattle cars to come in. And you know, all we got from our undercover guy was that you know. Koresh was hinked up, something's up, something's up, something's up. But nothing nothing uh, so, uh, you know, demonstrative to say, stop, abort the raid, you know, because the questions, the magic questions were, did they, did they go to arms? No. You know, did he direct anybody to do anything uh, significant? No. All of those questions were, were asked from the undercover when he got out of the Compound, and this is like within fifteen minute period. You got to understand. So all systems are go, and they decided that you know they they knew just like every time you do a raid, you know you're you're always concerned that the informant goes sideways on you and 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 what have you. So you know it it was that type of thing. But all of our guys thought they could get in there because they knew where their weapons were being kept. In a, in a locked room and they thought that they could get in before they could get to the weapons and and that's where we made the mistake so when our cali cars pulled up they had our, our koresh had already once our undercover guy left the compound in about a 15 minute period koresh had told the guys get the guns, set up the guns and they ambushed the agents when they when we pulled up and got out of our cali right. cars and that's that's the truth and that's how it really happened so our guys are 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 thinking you know for you know and, and all this crap about who shot first and all that our guys you know i mean if you could picture this our agents had gone there with candy in their pockets you know because there were kids inside the compound and you know when you serve a search warrant it's going to take a couple hours to get that whole thing squared away to get people taken care of there were 80 people inside the compound there was a cache of weapons so we were going to be in there for probably a good part of the day and the kids were going to be scared so the agents went out on their own and they bought candy for the kids to give to the kids while we were doing the warm now if that doesn't tell you that you know we didn't go in there to to shoot first i don't know what does you know that's our mental mental state of mind so that's that's proof in itself there and and those things you know it, it it turns out that at the end The agents that were killed and the agents that were shot have been really hurt really bad, sued the newspaper and the ambulance company because that was another issue. We had to put the ambulance company on hold because if anything were bad to happen, they had so many bodies that were going to be involved. We had 80 agents, 80 people in the compound. This was a major deal. We had to be at least ready to render assistance in case something went bad, like you always do. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, she tipped off her boyfriend, uh, the, the the dispatcher, and that was another issue that kind of clouded our our uh, you know our sense of of uh, compromise. You know, we were compromised so badly on this that we didn't realize it. So when we went, you know. That's why people say, well, how, why would you go? You know, why would you, well, th- this is why, because we were, we thought we could get in and, and get it safe and get them right. from getting to the weapons before they did. You know, they, they have practiced, our SRT sure. special response team had practiced at Fort hood for, and they were able to get out of the com out of the uh, trailers and into the compound to the, to the, to the unit uh, to, to separate the people in like fifty-eight seconds flat, and now that, that was what they were going to be doing until they stepped out of the trailers and they took heavy gunfire from inside the building, and that was the the beginning of the of uh, the beginning of the ambush. And then our guys were pretty much sitting ducks because you know what—a fifty-caliber against a nine-millimeter or a oh, forty-caliber yeah. 40 yeah. handgun—you got to be an idiot. I mean, you got to be an yeah. idiot to go into that. You know, I mean, who who's, who gets paid enough right. to do? To do that in law enforcement you know and and our For race sure. commanders were the first guys there they were the first guys in so they thought they you know they could do it and everything and and it just you know in hindsight of course 2020 is hindsight but uh that's that's what happened and it turns out that the lawsuits went flying against the newspaper for compromising us, and they had to pay out. I want to say the number was sixteen million dollars to the dead agents' families and and to uh, the agents that were severely uh, wounded in the shootout. Uh, and And that's and that's mm-hmm. part of the settlement that they did. Uh, the other thing was the fifteen day, or, or excuse me, the fifty one day siege. Uh, you know, they don't know they don't know this. But while we were giving uh, the, the children were inside the compound for 51 days, so we were bringing them milk. I don't know if you remember this, but it was pretty much on, on the national news every day at the time. But we we would be bringing right. them milk Well, we bugged the milk crates. All right. So we were able to have it over here as to what was going on inside the compound. They didn't know that, but we did. So the day mm-hmm. when they decided to, to drive the tanks through the front door, uh, I, I don't know if you remember this either, but they, the, the agents, uh, or, or excuse me, the, uh, the Davidians that, that got out of the fire safely on the 51st day, they sued uh, because they said we started the fire. When I say we, I mean the government started the fire, the FBI with the tanks going through the front yeah. door which was bullshit, you sure. know, and, and we knew what it was. But anyway, but what they didn't know was that we had the overhears in the milk crates, so we could hear what was going on inside. And we also had mm-hmm. planes, planes above, that had infrared. So when the, when the tank started to go through the front door, uh, that, that, that video that you always see, uh, you you see on the infrared from four corners of the building and, and simultaneous you hear them say light the fires light the fires light the fires on the on the over here so the four corners lit up a mm-hmm. fire and we had uh, you know nowhere near where the where the uh, tank was obstructing the front door uh, so they they uh, once they got that information on discovery they folded like a cheap suit and they said okay well Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you guys didn't start the fire. So anyway, those are things that people don't realize. And the, the real thing is the money situation, the lawsuit, these guys don't settle out of court to the tune of, you know, 16 mil. if They didn't do anything wrong if they're not liable. All, all people remember. All people remember was ATF botched raid. You know what I mean? That, and that's the burr under our saddle because the real story was never told to this day. And if I could have one thing before the day I die, I wish somebody would do an objective story about it. You know? And I've, I've tried uh, to get with producers and what have you, and and I'll talk about that when I, we talk right. about my book a little bit about what I, where I'm going with this whole thing, but. That's kind of some of the background. I hope that's what you're looking for.
0: Oh, absolutely. And as you and I both know, uh, the news media is out there to sell and to make money.
1: When they come out and say ATF botches RAID, okay, they're on record saying ATF botches RAID. Well, it was their own newspaper that that compromised us. So they're not going to come out and indict themselves and say... Wait a minute! Uh, It was us that compromised. It's it's on us. They weren't going to come out and say that. So everybody in the country sees ATF botches raid in big letters, and then they think we're a bunch of idiots that uh, don't know how to do uh, police work. You know, and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, we were we were severely compromised.
0: Well, that's the narrative that's been going on for some time about. what, what the real stories are and what the news media story is. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I try to get guys on this podcast like you and others to tell the truth and as best as what they know. Right. And, uh, you know, it did give, it did give ATF as an agency a black eye. Sure. But at the end of the day, none of this was brought up about all the leaks that were taking place And what jeopardized the operation. It only takes one leak to screw the whole thing up. Yep. And, and that's usually what happens. And lives are lost. Um, Exactly. And exactly. And, and, and that's the sad part about it. We lost agents. And of course the Davidians lost people too, uh, which, you know, a lot, a lot of it, when you look back could have been prevented, but, uh, and people don't understand uh, what law enforcement really does every day in this country or for this country, as as we can see about what people second guess what and how things are done by law enforcement. And they have no clue how to handle things. Right. Um, so, I, 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 and I think that was, a you know, an excellent part of Waco. And I've been wanting to find somebody that could speak out about it.
1: Well, this blue book, dated September of nineteen ninety-three, I'm telling you, it's a, it's an inch and a half thick, and it is it is a factual, uh, you know, dissertation of exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And I would recommend anybody don't take my word for it. You know, I mean, I can you guys people could say, oh, he's biased, he's an ATF agent. Well, read the report. This is by this is by some heavy hitters that were chiefs of police their whole careers and, and what have you. And uh, you know, it's dedicated to the poor and the we lost, but uh, the bottom line is it was, sure. it was, it was requested by Janet Reno and president Clinton at the time. They took six, six mm-hmm. months of, of thorough, thorough investigative work. They interviewed everybody, everybody in this book that was there. And it, paints the real picture of what really happened and it makes people understand uh you know what i was talking about right. a little bit and there's a lot more in this book than what we just talked about but uh i just wanted to give sure. you a, a you know a, an idea and i i hope that that uh that helps the listeners to understand uh, you know exactly what's going on
0: well that's and that's why i i mentioned to you this is the untold story that we really don't know about and the intricacies that are behind you know operations of law enforcement operations and and this was a a massive raid a massive compound and this isn't something that you just go in and kick the door in as you right. mentioned they trained at Fort Hood and simulated uh you know an actual uh warrant execution sure, sure. so this was something that was well planned with a well planned operation but sometimes the best of the plans go south and and you got to deal with them, you know? Right. So, um, uh, so Mark, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about, uh, some specific cases that you're involved with. And, and I think it's a, uh, it's really, uh, talks and speaks about you and your ability to conduct investigations. And, uh, this is, uh, I know you wrote the book about it. It's called justice for Dallas. Um, And uh, I'd like to talk a little about uh, the investigation, how you got involved in this. And it was a, uh, I guess it was a a brutal murder investigation in in Northern uh, California. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, that investigation?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it happened in the mid eighties. I was a young agent out of San Francisco field division and uh, they had a brutal, a brutal quadruple homicide case uh, up. And Fort Bragg, up on the coast, north of San Francisco, uh, near near Bodega Bay there. And um, the locals, in Mendocino County, it was a big deal because, you know, they, they've never had a quadruple homicide case under one roof before. So there was ballistics and there was also uh, arson suspected because the, the uh, compound with the dead bodies and it burned rather quickly. So they thought there was accelerant used. So that's why we got called. So Plus, we were working with them on the camp program, the campaign against marijuana planners where we were. We were eradicating drugs right. up mm-hmm. in that area. You know, you know about that. We were, we were, right. we were jumping out of helicopters yep. mm-hmm. and tackling guys in the fields before they right. got to the guns and all that good stuff. But so we we had a good rapport with those right. guys, just like you just like you said earlier, how we 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 were where the rubber meets the road. I mean, we're jumping out of the planes <laughs> with these guys. The feds are jumping out with these, you know, state and the local narcotics guys. That's what we do. You know, if DEA right. was there, you'd sure. be doing yeah. the same thing. You know. If, if, if another agency was there, they might be getting their nails done, you know, (laughs) but anyway, 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 we got called in on that homicide and, uh, that was the most unbelievable crime scene. Uh, and they had shot three people, the father, the mother, and the 15 year old son execution style. Uh, to the shot to the brain and we got no ballistics readings because the, the, the bullets were mangled uh, so bad and then uh, the the little girl the five-year-old girl her name was Dallas and she was she was knife she was her throat was slit and she was thrown thrown it on her, on her bedroom floor and then they took kerosene and they doused the old man in kerosene and uh, they lit him on fire and they poured the rest of the kerosene in the kitchen and started to burn the house down when the fire department got there and fought back the flames and then they found the bodies and it turned to a turned to a scene and then they called us and we showed up but anyway uh the the one thing that we got lucky on was the 15 year old he was coming when all hell broke loose downstairs it was a two-story farmhouse and uh, he was coming down and we did we did tra- trajectory patterns of the bullets and uh of this one bullet that went through and through his chest and we were able to pull it out of the door jamb at the top of the stairs and it was pristine enough because the door you know, lucky for us the door was soft wood at the top of the door jamb and it went right through his chest it did not strike any bones or anything so we had a pristine projectile that we were able to recover from that scene mm-hmm. uh even though it was charred over and that we cleaned it up and everything so we 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 had if we could ever find the gun we had a comparison bullet that we could do a test fire and 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 check it against so we knew we had that and then of course our we had the accelerator the canine came and hit on the part of the accelerator in the kitchen and we ripped up the floorboard and sent that to the lab and we found out that was that was kerosene so but we we ended up finding out that the the father the you know the old man of the house was a former uh, biker and he would not remove the tattoo when he got kicked out of the club in bad standing so he he was suspected of being a snitch and Maybe stealing some money because he was the treasurer of the club, and they decided to kick him out. He moved from Vallejo, which is where the, which is where their chapter was, uh, just north of San Francisco, and uh, he ended up moving to Fort Bragg to start a new life with his family. And uh, they went there to, with a gun. Four four of the angels went there with a gun, and a knife, and they were going to hold him at gunpoint had cut the tattoo out of his arm and then because that was a tattoo he wouldn't remove that uh, they wanted him to remove and uh, so they said oh yeah we'll come we'll, we'll get the tattoo and then they were going to take it back to the clubhouse and pin it up on the on the bulletin board there to show hey this is a billy's tattoo you know so what happens when you don't know, follow follow orders so right that's what was going to happen unfortunately the gun was delivered late in the day they did some drugs and when they got there, the kids were home from school. The mother was home from work and all hell broke loose in the house and they killed them all. Yeah. So that was it. And we had an idea of who the, who the killers were because obviously, you know, the sister, the sister of the dead lady is, was really key. Cause she, she knew some of the players and she knew who she, she thought might be responsible, but we had to prove it, you know, and, sure. and we hit the, we hit the, the brick The brick wall of the of the bikers and that and then uh, uh, the the girlfriend of of the main killer uh, she ended up flipping uh, and and rightly so against him and uh, it's a great it's a great story and I wrote the book and I'm happy to say that it's being screen written right now for uh, by a director and a couple screenwriters and uh, I'm hoping you know that before I die that it becomes a movie. Um, they're talking about trying to get you know trying to get it done this year. Uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see. Right. But uh, definitely twenty two and, and uh, go from there. But uh, th- that's exactly uh, what I what I want to do. And and you know, if we do get some executive producers on board or a producer on board, it sees the the beauty of this story because we you know justice prevails in the end. Sure, uh, and it's quite an unbelievable story. Uh, then then I would then I would try my magic with uh, Waco, what really happened to Waco and see if I could get somebody right. uh, interested because it's been 28 years, you know and, right. and a lot of mm-hmm. people, you know, ha- half the world wasn't even born, you know right. that even remembers Waco and sure. So you know if there's still an interest and if people still think they, they can make money and that's how Hollywood is, that they can make money, on a production that re- what really happened, then um, maybe I'll get, get lucky. But until until a producer comes along and says, I want to know what really happened and really do a factual uh, deal, you know, right. it's not going to
0: happen. Right. So. Well, I, I can say this much. Uh, um, I know that uh, at least the ATF lab used to be in Rockville, Maryland. I don't know if they're still there. But uh, I use them quite a bit. I think they are. Yeah, they they uh, they I got an, They are still there. They have an excellent lab, um, and I've used them for ballistics yeah, on, on investigations and, and and so on. And uh, really, really top notch. Yeah, the one the one we used in San Francisco
1: was Treasure Island. We had a lab on Treasure Island, which sat between okay. uh, San Francisco and Oakland, right there. Okay. Yeah, that's where I took the ballistics for that case.
0: Well, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on today. I mean, it was very uh, informative, to say the least. And I know we can speak hours and hours about these cases and uh, the work sure. that the men and women of ATF do every day for our country, uh, the selfishness, the the lives that uh, that they put on a line. Um, and so I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your service. And I want to thank you for coming on our podcast again today. Thank you very much.
1: I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Forletta Investigates.
0: Thank you for listening to Forletta Investigates. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You could follow Forletta Investigative Security Consultants on LinkedIn and at FCIS LLC on Facebook. And if you are in need of investigative or security services, please go to FCIS dot com.